Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We've been going through the book of Acts and really looking at a church the start of the church, the reality of how God's presence was so real in the midst of that church, and the reality of how, as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they were able to really turn the world upside down. I mean, really, you are here today because of what happened and what we're going to read today, because of the church being empowered and then them going out and doing what God had called them to do, and therefore the gospel was spread and the message of Christ was put forth. You're here today because of what happens in this chapter. But there are some powerful lessons in this chapter for you and I because the reality of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, working in your life can be a very real experience for a lot of us. And so when you hear Jesus say things like this, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly, we look at that and we say, well, that's a nice saying, but what does that really mean? How do I experience that for my life? He's saying, I can have life, but you know my life stinks right now. If he really knew what my life was like, why doesn't he send me some relief? And so there's a sense in which there's a desperation from God's people for something more. And I think the reality is, is that we want something more, but we're looking in the wrong places for it. So we try Christianity from the standpoint of doing religious things. Oh, if I only go to church. I'm glad you're here today, but coming to church isn't going to take care of you. Or if I only give enough, or if I only do this, if I only do that, if I pray enough, if I read my Bible, and all those things are wonderful, and, but they're not what's going to bring you life. They're not what's going to bring peace to your heart. It's not going to fill the vacuums that are there. And they are there, aren't there? Because we try to fill them with everything else. We, we try to fill them with our hobbies. We try to fill them with our relationships. We try to fill them with food. For some, they maybe try to fill it with addictions. And the reality is is that there's something so much more that's needed in our lives. And we keep missing it. And what we're missing is the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's the sad thing. You know, statistics are showing that even in our churches, almost half people don't believe in the Holy Spirit anymore. And I think there's a lot of different reasons. We don't talk about them anymore. We don't teach about them because we're scared that something weird might happen. But the reality is God wants so much more for us. Remember what he said to his disciples in the, in the upper room the day, the night in which he was betrayed. He said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send another comforter. The word actually means helper, someone to come alongside of you, to guide you. I'm going to send someone else. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. See, we want Jesus to come back, but we're ignoring the one that Jesus has given us right now, the Holy Spirit. And he can come into your life and empower you for the life that he wants you to live right now. See, he wants you to live a life for him right now. Does he want me to be a missionary? No. <laughs> we, we like to excuse it away and say, oh, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be a missionary. No, no, he's not, God's not calling all of you to be missionaries. But he is calling you to be you where he has placed you, in the homes that he's placed you, in the neighborhoods that he's placed you, in the workplace that he's placed you, to be who you are, empowered by him, and living the life that he wants you to live. And see, it all began back in a group of 120 people in an upper room 
when the Holy Spirit came and he filled them, he empowered them. Let me give you a little bit more of what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here, all denominations talk about. They have different names for it. Let me just stop for a moment. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit enters into your life at that moment. Does everybody understand me? The Holy Spirit enters in. God himself enters into your life the moment you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Some call it the filling of the Spirit. In our circle of churches, we call it coming to a place of surrender, or another term that we use for it in our Baptist circles is that we talk about it in terms of coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's where I come to a place of letting him take control. Some, of it call, some people call it the second blessing, the place of surrender. Very different names for it. All of them are pointing to one thing. The place where you decide, I'm no longer in control and God is. Lord, I need you to live through me. And I need your spirit to fill me. Give me the life that I so want because I've tried to look for it for myself. And I haven't found it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today because that's what's happening in this chapter. And we're going to see several things. First of all, we're going to see their persistence. We're going to see the empowerment of what God does when he comes upon them. And then we're going to see the reaction, because when, when God's people are empowered, when God's people are filled with His Spirit, when God's Spirit is working in your life, it's going to draw reactions from people. It's going to cause people to respond to you in one of two different ways. So let's notice with me, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13 today of a very, very familiar passage and try to ask the Holy Spirit to give us some understanding of what he's saying here. Luke writes in his book, The Acts, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them us. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitudes came together and were confused because of everyone had heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, I want you to notice the perseverance. The first thing we're going to see there is the perseverance is that on the day of Pentecost, now what does Pentecost mean? Let me just help you a little bit to understand what Pentecost is. Pentecost, another one of the Jewish feasts, it takes, day, takes place 50 days after Passover. So we're talking about 50 days after Passover. Let's just stop for a moment. What happened at Passover? Who was crucified? Jesus. So 50 days after the crucifixion, in that 50 days, he rose from the dead, he was with them for a little bit, and then he left and he said, wait for the promise to be fulfilled. So here they are, 50 days later, and they're all together. There's 120 of them, and, and some scholars believe they were in an upper room, and that must have been a big upper room to have 120 people there. But they were all together in one place, it says, 
120 of them. And I want you to notice some things about them because they are obviously fulfilling what Christ had told them to do when he left. And remember what he told them to do. You shall go to Jerusalem and you'll wait there until what? Until you receive the promise. What is the promise? The Spirit will come upon you and then you'll be my witnesses. So I want you to notice three things here. And I think there's three applications for you and I here as well. Number one, they had a single focus. Look at that word one accord. That word one accord means this. The word that's used there means having a unity of mind and a unity of passion. So they, they basically came together and they were unified. They had a single focus on one thing and one thing only, and it was their single passion. Guess what it was? Jesus. So they came together, and when they were together, their single focus, their whole purpose for being there was Jesus. They wanted Jesus. They wanted his fulfillment. They wanted him to fulfill the promise that he had given them. They had a single focus and a single passion. Can I tell you, I think that's the number one area that we struggle with in our churches today is that we don't have a single focus. There's so many different messages that you're being bombarded with. Just turn on your Christian radio and you'll understand what I'm talking about. So many different things being bombarded as far as what the focus of the church should be. Some people say it should be politics. And the church needs to take a stand on political issues. Some people think it should be some issue, maybe abortion. And abortion's wrong. But there are some folks that think the whole focus of the church needs to be on one issue, or this issue, or that issue. Maybe it doesn't have to be one of those issues. It could be something else. Some people think the whole focus of the church is just being one big family, just having a great time together and enjoying each other's couple. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we need to. But our focus can't be that either. Our focus as a bunch of believers who come together in a church, who come together as Kermansville Christian Church, needs to be what their focus was, what? Jesus. Jesus. And notice something. That word accord, and remember what I said, it's not that they had a single mindset, so we can all have a single mindset of saying, yes, it needs to be Jesus. It also means a single passion. Everybody understand what I mean by passion? It was their desire, the one they desired. Jesus. So there they were. They were gathered together, one single focus on Jesus and a passion for him. You know, we need to be that kind of church. I shared with you before a few weeks ago, I was praying. I was saying, Lord, what do you want our church to be? And it was very clear. God was saying to me, I want, I want Kerwinsville Christian Church to be a what? A church of real people. Let's just stop for a What do we mean by real people? Real people, not fake people but real people who are seeking after Jesus. Real people where anyone, anyone, doesn't matter who they are, how they dress, who they voted for, can come and what? Seek Jesus and learn to walk in obedience. See, that's what we need to be. We need to be that kind of church with a passion, with a focus for Jesus. And that's what they were. So they were gathered there. The other thing I want you to see about them is this, is they were persistent. They were persistent. Now, what do you mean they were persistent? Look, here's the thing. It's, it's been 50 days since the crucifixion. They've seen Jesus come, raised from the dead, teach them, leave. They've watched him leave. And then he says, tarry a while. So it's been a few days, maybe a couple of weeks. And he says, tarry a while and wait until the Spirit comes, and then you'll be my witnesses. So they're waiting. And listen, you know what? They're not like us. Because we don't like to wait, do we? You know, you got the doctor's appointment, and the doctor says, be there at 3.30. You're there at 3.20, and then they don't see you till 4. Isn't that right? 
They're saying, why didn't you say four? Because we don't like to wait. We're not geared that way. And you know how it is to go to Walmart, you got your stuff, and you're in line, and it's all filled up, and you got your stuff, and you got the guy who's got the big cartload, and it's the only one there, so you get in there, and then the light goes on. Blink, 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 blink. Price check. From some department way in the back of the store that they can't find a clerk. And you're on edge. Why? Because we don't like to wait. That's our general nature. Now bring it over to the spiritual realm. We don't like to wait on God. And when we pray to him and we talk to him and we want him to do something, knowing that his timetable is different than our own timetable, we maybe pray a couple of times and then what do we do? We give up. And then we cop an attitude. He doesn't hear my prayers. But I want you to notice something about these folks. These folks, here it is, they're continuing together. They're single folk. They have a single passion. Jesus. They want Jesus. And they come together and they are persistent. They are coming together. Wanting, seeking after God. Are you persistent? Jesus gave some interesting parables. He told several in a series, and I've mentioned to them to you before, and I think they all illustrate what I'm talking about. He said the kingdom of God is like an old woman who lost her coin in her house. And so she tears apart her house in search of the coin. The kingdom of God is like a man who walks into a field and he finds a treasure. He then reburies the treasure, goes and sells all that he has, and then buys the field so he can get the treasure. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a man who finds a pearl of great price. He then goes and sells all that he has so that he could buy that great pearl for himself. He's saying the same thing. The kingdom of God is such, God is such that you need to have a single focus that whatever it takes, you're going to want him. You want him in your life, and you're going to seek after him. See, this is the focus they had in the upper room. Can I ask you, how are we doing? I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, I can say, not good. I don't like to wait. I want it now. See, they were persistent. So they were seeking after him. And one thing I want to tell you also is, is that they were obedient. See, here's the key factor that you and I need to recognize. First of all, let me tell you about them. Jesus said to them, go and tarry in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem until the promise is fulfilled. Here they are, 50 days later, they're still in Jerusalem. Now, don't you understand something? We say, what's the big deal? So they hung out in Jerusalem for 50 days. You don't understand. They were followers of Jesus. The authorities crucified Jesus. The authorities, they're, they're actually scared for their life because they're followers of the way. And they're afraid. In fact, don't you remember the whole interchange with Peter on the night in which he was betrayed with the people there in the courtyard? You're one of those Galileans who followed Jesus. Remember how he denied Christ in fulfillment of what Jesus said? Why? Because he was scared. I mean, the best thing for them could have been is to go back where? to their villages in, in Galilee. Get out of Dodge. Go back fishing or something. Lay low. Isn't that what you would do if you knew somebody was after you? So here they are. They're being obedient to the one who told them to do what's right. See, this is a key factor that you and I have got to understand. If we want to seek empowerment in our life, if we want to come to that place of surrender or come under the lordship, as we would say in our circle of churches, of Jesus Christ, where he is number one and we follow what he says, we have to learn to be what? Obedient. 
And you say, okay, well, obedience, church, what are you talking about, obedience? First of all, let me just say this. I am not talking about man-made rules. Don't do this, don't do that, dress this way, carry this, carry that. You know, a lot of times in church we come up with a whole list of do's and don'ts of what you should and shouldn't do. And a lot of them, most of them, aren't even in the Bible. What's he talking about being obedient? He's talking about being obedient to what he, who's he? God has said. And I'll be honest with you, it's a lot easier to do all that other stuff than to do what he tells me to do here. See, I can dress up on the outside, but it's awfully hard to be told to change my attitude about how I am towards somebody else or to deal with my prejudices. Do you see my point? All that other stuff is easy. God calls us to be obedient. And they were obedient. They did what Jesus told them to do. In fact, they did what was probably crazy to do. Stay around knowing that there are people that aren't happy with the guy that you were following. And think about it. The rumors would be going around that his body's not there. And guess who they were accusing of stealing his body? Those very disciples. So you see their persistence. But then I want you to notice with me, look with me, verse 2 to 4. It's an amazing thing that happens. It's significant because it impacts you and I. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, the Spirit's empowerment is mysterious and unexpected. Here's what I want you to see about this. We like to be in control of things. Have you noticed that? We're all control freaks here. Does everybody know that? You want to control stuff in your life. You want to control how your spouse reacts and what he or she does. You want to control things at work. You want to control the traffic. You want to be in control. Everybody ever wants to be in control. Have you noticed that as much as we want to be in control, we're not in control? Have you noticed that? Because no matter how much you try to be in control, you're not in control. Let me tell you one realm you have no control in, and that is the realm of the Spirit. You have no control as how God works and when He works. And even though you may seek after Him and, you come, and you're seeking that place of surrender, but what I want you to see is as we have that single focus, we want you, Lord, we've got to recognize something, that God doesn't work the way we want Him to work. He's not in our little boxes. We like to put God in a box. Have you noticed that? And the Spirit's empowerment, first of all, is mysterious and it's unexpected. In fact, isn't that what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3? This is what Jesus said. The wind blows where it wishes, and you either hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit of God is mysterious. So we're seeking after the mysterious work of God himself in our lives. Next thing I want you to see here is that God's presence was in their midst. Notice how he describes what's going on here, and I'll give you an understanding of what's happening. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Two illustrations here, both of them from the Old Testament. Number one, the wind. We've already talked about that, the mysterious nature of the Spirit. The other here is fire. More than once, several times in the Old Testament, fire was often representative of the presence of God. And so here's what's happening. As the Spirit comes, the very presence of God, notice what it says, it, what? The fire divided and rested upon who? 
all of those believers. Here's what's happening. The presence of God was in their midst, and it rested upon each and every individual there. See, what happens is, is when you and I seek empowerment of God in our life, we are seeking God's presence in our life. We're seeking the very real presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives where we're no longer quenching Him, no longer grieving Him, but where He is leading and guiding us in the life that He wants us to live. He's empowering us for life. Then I want you to know the final thing here is, is that He empowered them for His service. See, God comes into your life not for you to live and do your own thing and be selfish. God comes in your life so that you can live for Him and for others. So when He empowers you, He empowers you for others. Now, what did He do there? He gave them the ability to speak other languages. What well, says tongues there? Well, the same word means language. And he gave them the ability to speak because in Jerusalem at that time were many Jews who were there for the festival, for Pentecost, who were there, who were devout, who were worshiping, and they were from all over the Roman world at that time, and they were there. And notice what they said. They said, boy, these folks were from Galilee, but they're speaking my own, what? Language. What's going on there? He gave them an ability to serve him with those people. And so here he is, the Holy Spirit wants to use you, and so he's going to gift you as you allow him, as you surrender to him, as you come to that place of surrender, or, come, or as some people say, as in our groups, we say, come under the Lordship of Christ. And you say, Lord, here I am. You take control. And you know what he does? He gifts you. He gives you abilities. He gives you, he, he strengthens you. He gives you the ability to do, to serve him wherever you are. And they were empowered for his service. And they were empowered for his service. Now, I want you to notice with me the reaction. Two reactions that happened. And, this is, and, if, and nothing has changed. It's the same reactions today. Same reaction. If you're living for Jesus, if you're empowered by the Spirit of God in your life, you're going to see the same two reactions from people all around you. Here's the reactions. Number one, it provoked many to inquire. When the Spirit of God works in your life and people see that, they're going to ask questions. They're going to want to say, hey, wait a minute now. I know how you used to be. Something's often, something's changed here. Something's different about you. It provoked them to, to inquire. And so notice in that passage, all those folks, they're hearing those folks speaking in their languages, and they're, they're praising God and giving glory to God, and they said, what's going on here? It, they were asking questions. Let me just stop for a moment. The issue isn't today that people don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. The issue is that they want to see reality. There's enough fakeness going on and how do they describe it? Hypocrisy. Why well, it's just them. No, 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 no. You've got to hold on a second. If we're honest with ourselves and looked at ourselves in the mirror, we'd have to say what? I know I do. George, you're just a hypocrite. But a real life where the, where the manifestation of God is evident in your life, the presence of God is evident in your life, will provoke others to what? Ask some questions. Why are you that way? Why are you that way? See, it will provoke some to ask questions. Now, there is another reaction, and this is always true. When God's Spirit shows up in a place and His presence is known in a place, this happens even in the church. There are two reactions. It provokes many to inquire and they want to be a part of it. But here's the other thing. It causes others to reject. What was the accusation? These guys are drunk. Had a little bit too much to drink. And notice what they said. New wine. 
They've had too much new wine. Now, Peter will later tell them, guys, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's no way possible they're drunk. But I want you to see, here's what happens. You see, we, we want people to ask questions, but we don't want people to reject. But here's the reality. You're going to have one or two reactions always. As you're seeking God in your life, understand me. As you're seeking God in your life, as you're seeking what he wants, and especially as you're seeking the Spirit's empowerment in your life, come to that place of surrender, which is where we all should be wanting to seek after. It's going to draw two reactions. Number one, you're going to have people who are going to inquire, who are going to want to know, but you're also going to have people who are just going to say, I don't think so. I just flat out reject that. And it happens. It happens in churches. See, you're going to have one or two reactions. You're going to have people who are provoked to ask questions, and if not, you're going to have people who just flat out reject. That's the way it is. When God's Spirit works in a group of people, which is what we see there, it draws two reactions. You say, okay, George, what does this all have to do? How do I apply this to my life? Well, three things. Number one, where is your focus? What are you focused on? You know, they came together and had a single focus. Their single focus was Jesus. What's your focus on? You might be saying, well, my focus is just getting through the day, man. Just getting, getting through this week. Getting through my job. My boss has just been on me. I understand that you're being honest about what your focus is. My focus is my relationship. Trying to mend things or trying to establish one. or That's my focus. That's okay. That's good too. My focus is family. Your focus may even be church. But here's the problem. While those are all maybe good in and of themselves, they're not right. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your focus needs to be Him. Not the church, not your job, not your family. Him. Where's your focus? That's a good question. Here's the other one. Are you seeking after Jesus? Are you seeking after him? He's alive. He wants to be a, have a relationship with you. See, even if you're here and you're a believer and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the reality is, is that you can live your life without him. You maybe don't even think about him. Because you can do it on your own. You've got the brain power. You've got the wallet power. You're okay. So the question is, are you seeking after him? Listen, if you seek after him, he will be found by you. Because he's the one who created the desire in the first place in your life. Are you seeking after him? So where's your focus? Are you seeking after him? And then finally, here's the thing. Seek his empowerment for your life and your witness. Seek his empowerment. Uh, and as I know that, some of you are going to say, well, I don't know that I really need to have that in my life. That's fine. But you'll never be what God wants you to be. Oh, you can serve him in your own strength and in your own brain power and with your own financial resources and whatever, but you'll never accomplish what God wants to accomplish through your life because what he wants to accomplish through your life, he can only do through you. But it's going to take you coming to the place of saying, Lord, it's no longer me in control, it's you in control, and submitting to him and surrendering to him. So my prayer is that each and every one of us would seek that. Thank you for being with us this morning. We trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. Before we leave you today, George would like to share some special news about an upcoming event. Folks, we're excited about a five-week series at the church called The God Questions. We are looking at the tough questions that many are wrestling with today. 
questions such as, is God real, and is the Bible true? In fact, we'll be addressing the question that everyone struggles with, why does God allow suffering in the 1045 worship service today? We will also have a question and answer forum today to discuss this question in detail. Next week, we'll look at the question, what happens to me when I die? It is our hope that you will be able to attend these discussions. For more information about the series or any other information about the church, visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org or you can call us at 236-1622. On behalf of the church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.